Hi, I'm Batsheva Frankel from Overthrowing Education, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Barbara R. Blackburn. Named a top 30 global guru in education, she has dedicated her life to raising the level of rigor and motivation for professional educators and students alike. What's really cool is Barbara has now 29 books, and today we're focused on her latest, which is called Rigor in the Remote Learning Classroom, Instructional Tips and Strategies. Uh, This is an awesome conversation and so, so practical. You're going to want to put this to use right now. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe. Enjoy. Hey, not so long ago, my, uh, my wedding band broke. That's right. And it was unrepairable. Well, that was crazy. And, you know, and boonrings.com came to my rescue. That's Boon Titanium Rings. You can find them at boonrings.com. And uh, by the way, they're now a, an affiliate partner of ours. But I also use them. My wedding band is now one of their rings. And it's really cool. It's laser engraved and has these, these neat stars on it and pistons. But they came to my rescue and I got to tell you what's really cool, and it's in the name itself, they make titanium rings. This is not going to break, right? <laughs> no way. So not only can you have them personalized, but you can have them engraved, you can have them carved, you can have, uh, you can have them, uh, you know, designs with uh, um, wood, meteorite, stone, precious metals, acrylic, and uh, other inlays. You can also have uh, uh, these neat rings that, uh, I mean, just wait till you see the the Black Zirconium and Stealth Series rings. I mean, those are just way too cool. And, and you know, and they also make some really cool tool earrings, pendants, and cufflinks. Yeah, Boon Rings is pretty cool. That's right. You ought to go to boonrings.com. And they're an affiliate partner of ours, which means that if you go to checkout and you use my code, Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12. So you want to use all caps, T-L-L-K, and the number 12. So once again, you use my code, which is all caps, T-L-L-K, and the number 12. At checkout, you'll get a 10% discount. That's right. And uh, you'll help out the podcast because we'll get a commission. So go to boonrings.com. You'll be glad you did. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Barbara R. Blackburn, named a top 30 global guru in education, has dedicated her life to raising the level of rigor and motivation for professional educators and students alike. What differentiates Barbara's over 25 books are her easily executable concrete examples based on decades of experience as a teacher, professor, and consultant. Barbara's dedication to education was inspired in her early years by her parents. Her father's doctorate and lifetime career as a professor taught her the importance of professional training. Her mother's career as a school secretary shaped Barbara's appreciation of the effort all staff play in the education of every student. Barbara has taught early childhood, elementary, middle, and high school students and has served as an educational consultant for three publishing companies. She holds a master's degree in school administration and was certified as a teacher and school principal in North Carolina. 
She received her PhD in curriculum and teaching from the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. In 2006, she received the award for outstanding junior professor at Winthrop University. She left her position at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte to write and speak full time. In addition to speaking at state, national, and international conferences, she regularly presents workshops for teachers and administrators in elementary, middle, and high schools. Her workshops are lively and engaging and filled with practical information. Her most popular seminars include Rigor is Not a Four-Letter Word, Rigorous Schools and Classrooms Leading the Way, Rigorous Assessments, Differentiating Instruction Without Lessening Rigor in Your Classroom, Motivation Plus Engagement Plus Rigor Equals Student Success, Rigor for Students with Special Needs, Motivating Struggling Students, Rigor in the Remote Learning Classroom. Barbara does workshops online as well as in person, and uh, you can reach her through her website, barbarablackburnonline.com. Barbara, thanks for joining me today. Great to have you back on the show and say hi to everyone. Oh, hello, everyone, in a very different period for teaching and leading. This is definitely, uh, you know, an interesting time. That's going to be about the best word I can come up with that's still positive. You got that right. So, you know, in, in my work world, you, you know, a long time ago, we started talking about the possibility of you doing online uh, online workshops and it took me a while to get that all going and we got it all set but uh, who would have thunk that uh, there'd be a <laughs> something that would force me to <laughs> make that world happen a little faster yes it is and it's it's just such a different time um, and I think we're still trying to figure out in a lot of ways what to do you know it, it's been a year but I think we're still trying to figure it out at least I am oh you got that right and it's you know it, it all my systems, they take one step forward and then they have to take two steps backwards. <laughs> they take two <laughs> steps forwards and it's one step backward. And, you know, it's all, and it's, you just, oh my gosh. And, uh, you know, and it's, it, they'd be fine if it wasn't for all the people trying to give them advice. <laughs> yes. What, what, uh, what is the old saying that because everybody went to school at some time in their exactly. life, they think they're experts and can tell teachers what to do. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so this, we're seeing that perfect. We're definitely seeing that in this world right now. So, uh, well, Barbara, welcome. Um, you have this cool new book. It's called Rigor in the Remote Learning Classroom, Instructional Tips and Strategies. And it was written with Melissa Miles. And before we get into the book, it's kind of cool who Melissa Miles is. Can you tell us a little bit about her? She is. Uh, she actually co-wrote uh, with me a couple of years ago, rigor in the uh, language arts social studies classroom. We did an elementary and a secondary version. Uh, she is actually one of my former students. I mainly at the university taught graduate students. And so she was getting her master's degree in middle level education. And she was just one of my sharpest, sharpest students. And uh, we stayed in touch. Uh, she was doing consulting for the college board and some other groups. I ended up, because I was getting so much consulting, I ended up hiring her to do some work for me. She's always been a gifted writer. And one of her specialties, because she's still a current teacher, one of her specialties is technology. And I was telling her about the book and she got so excited. And I said, you know what? I just won't, let me finish the content of the book. And what I want you to do is go in there, read the whole thing and tell me how you use technology with all these pieces. So she supplemented what I did. And then she's also my best editor, so she always changes a few things. In fact, she edited my second book, so that's been a very long time ago because this was book 29, so nice. it's been a long time ago. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> <laughs> but, but she is just, boy, she is a whippersnapper of a teacher. Um, I, I mean, she is just great, and her technology skills, anytime I get a question about technology <clears throat> and I want to double-check it, I call her. 
Very cool. Very cool. So that's, it's so neat. That's a former student and all that. And, and that she's worked on um, all these, you know, these books with you. That's pretty, that's pretty awesome. So, yeah. So, uh, so Barbara, let's, let's go ahead and start talking about the uh, rigor in the remote learning classroom by talking about this opening line. The COVID-19 pandemic changed schooling around the world. Many times with little notice, teachers were expected to teach remotely. Technology tools were varied and oftentimes there was no teacher training, which complicated matters. Issues such as student access to computers, lack of internet or Wi-Fi hotspots, and students' physical, emotional, and social needs, including nutritious meals, complicated a focus on instruction. Talk a little bit about that. You know, I... Um... I sort of feel like that teachers are in a hurricane and there's so much swirling around them, they can't make it to the eye of the storm so that they can teach. Um, and that's the best analogy I can come up with because, you know, we're trying to do our best. We know we're supposed to be focused on, on instruction, but you know what? You can't focus on instruction if there is uh, a student who hasn't had a meal for two days. Uh, it's difficult to focus on instruction when you don't have stable Wi-Fi. And so every time you're trying to do something, your Wi-Fi goes out. Uh, there's just, and that's just two of the issues. Oh my gosh, there's so many others. And it has, in many ways, all of the non-instructional factors related to remote learning have just taken away so much from instruction, it's very difficult for us to do what we need to do. Um, and and I, I hear that frustration from teachers over and over and over again. You know, that it was, it continues, although it, I think it's gotten better. <laughs> but in the beginning, it, I mean, that, that opening statement just, I mean, you definitely were there because that's, you, you clicked on everything. I mean, everything from, you know, the idea that remote what? You know, huh? <laughs> like I'm supposed to do what? <laughs> and, you know, uh, and to discovering how just far and few Wi-Fi hotspots were outside of uh, some of the, uh, the mainstream areas around the schools and such. And uh, learning that, uh, you know, the, the, they probably have cell phones but may not have uh, much other stuff to connect them and even teachers the same way I, I the building where I am I had teachers ask us can I come in there and run my classes from your building I said sure we set them up in individual rooms and stuff and you know it what an interesting mess in the beginning and I mean we're, we're kind of coming out of that mess but at the same time we still have <laughs> ongoing issues and well, uh, we do. And I live in an area, I'm probably, you know, 45 minutes from some very, very rural areas because I live in the mountains of North Carolina. So if you go west of me, they're very rural. And there was one county and the kids, their parents were driving them to the local McDonald's to sit in the parking lot to get Wi-Fi because that was the only place they could get stable Wi-Fi. And the school had to figure out, you know, they thought they were providing some things, but it wasn't as stable as it needed to be. And, you know, that's a huge issue. And not only is it a huge issue, it is a financial issue. And, you know, with everything going on, schools were not getting extra funding, at least in my state. And Here so, you, you know, you, you need to do additional things. You're not getting the extra funding. I did read about one district. I thought this was great. I don't remember what state it was in, 
but they did, you know, Wi-Fi hotspots on buses, which a lot of places did. But the cool thing was they also put lunch on the buses. So when they went around, they could do, you know, double duty. So they were providing the hotspots, but they were also providing the meals. And I thought that the way schools became creative with some of those things just, just epitomizes what teachers and schools do. Yeah, you got that right. That was, uh, you know, because that's one of the things that while we were trying to figure out lessons and so forth, uh, um, school meals went on. And so there was lots of uh, buses and parking lots and families coming up to the, the bus to get food for their children. So um, it's just, it's been a heck of a year, hasn't it? <laughs> yes, it has. <laughs> and I'm afraid it's not over yet. It's right. like you said, it's getting better. But, I, but I'm not sure we're there yet. You know, no. I wish we were, but I don't think we are. And I think that has nothing to do with the quality of educators. I just think that we are still trying to figure out how to drive the car with a flat tire. <laughs> yes, that's a nice analogy. <laughs> uh, yes, very much so. It's, uh, you know, it just seems like, uh, you, know, it, you know, it's a big part. A big part of it is uh, as you fix some of the technology parts and things like that there's more to it than that like learning how to teach in this type of environment to make it engaging and such and that's going to i'm going to use that as a segue to go into uh, what you write about which is uh, you know you talk about rigor and you know in the beginning of the book one of the things you do is you explain what you're talking about and so what do you mean when you talk about rigor in the remote learning environment well honestly it's the same thing when i'm talking about rigor period Okay, so rigor is not about the kids doing more, which at this point is unrealistic. Uh, it's not about just giving them something harder to do. So what it's about is uh, increasing our expectations of what we want them to do, but that a lot of times means complexity, not quantity. Um, it's about, and this part's really, really, really important with, with remote learning. It's about providing the scaffolding they need in order to accomplish that because you can't just make it make it more challenging and not provide them support to get there and with remote learning we have to be really creative about that support and then we provide ways for them to demonstrate learning and particularly with remote learning a test is not necessarily the best way to do that so there's a lot of creative ways for them to do that and so when you talk about remote learning sometimes we go well the technology is is challenging enough so that's what we're going to do for rigor. Well, no. Okay. So if I'm going to do technology that's challenging, but I'm going to ask them really basic, you know, what color is the dog? You know, what is two plus two equal? If I'm going to ask them those kind of questions, forget it. It's, it's not worth their time. So I've got to still have some challenging pieces. I just have to figure out how to do that online. I'm not going to throw out what I'm doing. I'm going to adjust what I'm doing. Then with scaffolding, it's the same thing. I'm gonna think about, all right, what do they need for that assignment? What would I do in the classroom? Okay, now how can I adjust that? Um, and that, can, that doesn't have to be hard. For example, in the classroom, if one of my students is struggling a lot, I'm probably gonna come over and talk to them and encourage them. All right, so what you do online is you need to have a short little video they can get to. And you probably need a general one that's just a pep talk when they get, when they get stuck. And then you need a specific one. So if you're having them do a debate, you're going to do a, you know, a couple of things you want to remember are this and this, and this is what I would do if I got stuck. So you're not going to throw out everything you've done. You're just going to go, okay, how do I translate that over? And then the same thing with assessment only, 
you know, again, multiple choice tests are maybe not going to be the best thing. You may want to use some of them, but I'm probably going to do something that is a little more performance based that's built on those first two things so that I may even be able to see it as it goes. Does that make sense? Oh yes, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. It's uh, I mean, it's part of the learning because <laughs> you know, you think about uh, like we were talking about in the beginning with that section of your book, um, you know, back last spring, I mean, there were, people who thought I'll just give them three weeks worth of worksheets. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to, that's not going to be the best. And again, what I would tell teachers and, and leaders who are working with teachers is remote learning is not about starting over. It is not about throwing out every strategy you've ever done. Okay. It's about taking what you've been doing and seeing if you can adapt it. Okay. You may not be able to, but if I like doing four corners where students who think one answer is correct, go to, go to the back right corner, then you got the front right corner. You know, if I like four corners because I am doing a multiple choice question and they go, wait a minute, how am I going to do that? Well, you use breakout rooms. You set up four breakout rooms and they choose which breakout room to go in. So there are, there are ways to take what you're doing and enhance it. And my fear is that somehow we've given people the message, just throw everything out, start over. Remote learning is so different. You just need to get rid of everything you've ever done. And I passionately believe that's not true. Yeah, I think that's, uh, I, it, it would be sad if we had to throw everything out because I don't, I don't see how we could, I mean, it, but I see it. I see what you're talking about. And it's, it, it's a little disconcerting because, uh, because then you have to think uh, if we throw everything out, then uh, I don't know Would the kids wonder if we even know what we're doing. I would think at some point. <laughs> well, and it, it really, um, honest to goodness, it messes with our heads. Yeah. Uh, you know, we start feeling like failures. I mean, I've got a lot of teachers telling me they feel that way anyway. Um, and, and almost every experienced teacher I've talked to says, I feel like I'm a first year teacher again. I feel like nothing I do is right. And I think we've got to go, wait a minute, there are things you're doing that are right, but let's figure it out. And that's where I think, like I mentioned in that first sentence about the training, you know, one of the best things a school district can do is have somebody like a Melissa, who's really good at it, who you can email and say, you know, I really want to do four corners, but I don't know how to do it. And she says, oh, you can try breakout rooms or you can do a shared document or you can do this so that I'm not the one having to figure it all out. And, and I think that is a really good piece. Just take one of the people who's really good at that and reassign some duties and let them help people. And I think you would find teachers uh, being more effective. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. I, you know, one of the things that I want to make sure that we, we talk about, because you, you mentioned some of it. Um, one of the things that I like is when, when you explain rigor, um, you also talk about the myths, which you've talked about some of that. And, uh, and I got to ask this before we go any further. Um, what's one of the biggest myths you run about run into about rigor <laughs> that you just wish would just be addressed and people would just push it out of their brain, get it, get rid of it. Well, probably my first one is one I've already talked about, which is just rigor is more, so I double the homework or whatever. But I will say that particularly in remote learning, there are two. One is that rigor is just about raising the expectations when you also have to increase the scaffolding. 
because I think we find it easier. We'll just give them something to do. And I don't know how to help them because we're doing it remote. I think that's real critical with remote. The other myth that I think is particularly pertinent to remote learning is the idea that rigor is not for everyone. So rigor is only for my honor students. It's only for my gifted students. Um, and what I hear again a lot as I work with teachers and, and it's frustration that, that, that I just think a lot of it is just, you know, a lack of control. You just don't know what to do anymore. But, but what I hear from them is, you know, I've got certain students and, and they're already overwhelmed. How am I going to give them something else to do that's more challenging? And every single student is capable of higher level work. The key is making it a little more engaging. So don't just zoom, don't just, you know, give them something to write. Don't just give them a worksheet like you mentioned but also really giving them that support and scaffolding. You know, I mentioned a video, you know, just a general video that's a pep talk. That actually came from one of my really good friends, her son's in second grade. And he was getting very frustrated because one of the things like with primary kids that we didn't think about was they're doing everything with a keyboard and you got a lot of kindergarten, first, second graders that all they've ever used is a touchpad and they don't even know how to use a keyboard. So they got to figure that out. So he was getting very frustrated. And so one afternoon she said, now, Justin, just tell me what I can do to help. And he was, he was going a uh, hybrid. He was doing two days with his classroom, three days at home. And he just stood up and he looked at her and said, I don't want any help from you. I want help from my teacher. <laughs> <And so, laughs> nice. She was like, what am I supposed to do? So she talked to the teacher. And this was one of the things the teacher started doing so that when Justin got really frustrated with just, it's hard to do, he could click on, always in the same place, and she'd change it up um, with, you know, I know she didn't do a name, so she did one for the class, so it's not like it took a long time. Um, you know, I know that you're probably getting frustrated right now. I am frustrated too. Do you think things are just hard sometimes? I do too. So here's what I do when things get too hard. I stand up and I walk around the room and then if I'm hungry, I eat something small. And then I come back and I take a deep breath and I go back and look at the directions again. And then I try to finish what I've started. And, and that kind of thing makes a huge, huge difference to students. Not only for one who doesn't want to hear it from their parents, but from one who nobody's at home and they're trying to do it by themselves. Right. Right. That's I. I have to say, before we go any further, because you just hit on something that if this was me, if I was a kid, <laughs> you know, and this happened and I was in school, especially elementary school, I don't, I'm not so sure how that would have worked out because I think I would have had, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not so sure. I had, I had a, uh, um, I walked home from school in those days and, uh, um, you know, I had a grandfather who uh, managed a drive-in theater and so he'd sleep during the day and he was a former tanker during world war ii and so he could sleep through just about anything <laughs> so i may have been locked out of the house a bunch of times but uh you know I, I think about uh um i think about me in high school so i'll pick on me in high school um you know, i was king of being able to say i'll get it done i'll get it done later you know <laughs> and i'm not so sure that uh um this would have fit i i would have gotten it done <laughs> i still i think i would have done fine 
um, just like I did in school. I did, I did well in school. I had good grades and all that sort of stuff. And, but uh, and this is not to talk about me. It's just that I think about me in this case. Eventually, I'm going to come out fine. But what I think about are the kids who are not, <laughs> who, the direction is not there at, at any at all. And uh, Yeah, and it comes out in so many different ways, Steve. I mean, again, some of them, it's, there is no parental support, not necessarily because those people are bad parents, but maybe they're working three jobs, you right, know? Right. So it can be a lot of different reasons. Maybe you've got a parent who doesn't have a high school education and they don't know how to help. Uh, but like my, my niece, uh, you know, my mom, uh, my sister is great and she wants to help. Jenna's 17, she don't want any help from her mom. And her issue, she's, it's not that she's not a good student. Her issue is scheduling. She will sleep late, and that means like 11 o'clock, <laughs> and nice. she gets up, nice. and she wants to talk to her friends, and she fiddles around, and the next thing she knows, it's like 4 o'clock, and you know, I don't really want to do this today, and so one of the things, that was all last year, and one of the things we did this year, because my sister was like, you know what, you're a teacher, you figure it out, <laughs> which is always the answer for people who are not teachers, um, and so... Jen and I did a Zoom call and we talked and uh, I said, okay, so let me make sure I'm straight. This is what you're going to do because she had decided to take a job. So, you know, we've got all this stuff and I said, all right, I'm going to type it all up. And it was a schedule and it was, you know, here's what you're doing. Yeah. If you want to sleep till 11, that's fine, but here's what you're going to do from 1130 to 1230. And, you know, we built her a schedule. She printed it out, put it up on the refrigerator, and then she could check it off so that if my sister wanted to see what she was doing, she could do that. And she ultimately didn't do it quite the way we built it, but it did give her some structure uh, so that if nothing else, she could see over the course of a week, this is when uh, they were using Microsoft Groups. So I have Microsoft Groups on these days. So those days, I have to be live and available. Now, where else do I need to add some slots? And so again, I think some of it is uh, lack of parental involvement for a variety of reasons that are not necessarily negative. And I think sometimes it's just the lack of motivation for the kids. And I think sometimes it's a lack of understanding of knowing what to do and how to do it. And again, I'm gonna go back to all of those things are things that we can provide support and scaffolding. And I'm going to give you another example. I know we're going to talk about support, but, but I'm going to go ahead and give you one more example. I've got some really good friends, uh, Chad and Kat, uh, both very educated, both very involved. Uh, Chad has a flexible work schedule because he's self-employed, so he could work around when his son was at home. Son's in a hybrid setting, a little bit different, like one week on, two weeks off kind of thing. Um, and what he was finding, because he was going back to work some, um, so this has just sort of happened lately, not early on, and uh, Charlie would call him with questions, a lot of questions. And so Chad's like, I, you know, I don't know what to do. And I said, well, you know what, Chad? I said, it sounds like Charlie isn't sure what he should do, so his default is to call you. And I said, so I'm going to make you two suggestions. One is, and I think teachers can do this too and, and provide them. I think parents would love it if they, if they do it. I said, one is you need to just do a checklist. Okay. If you need this, call dad or mom. Okay. Uh, or if you need this, go back and look at your directions. Okay. Do, do something independently first, then call dad and mom. 
if it's this, send a message to your teacher. Because, you know, you've also got to find a way that they're not sending you a message about tiny little stuff. Uh, so you want, to, you want to do the filter. So he did that. That helped a lot. The other thing was we, uh, he talked to the teacher. Chad talked to the teacher, was able to get some information on this. Again, did a general one, then did specific ones. So it would be like if you're doing uh, the Pythagorean theorem. Okay, here's some key things you need to remember. So it's like a one-page fact sheet um, about the learning. So kids have that. So if I'm learning about biomes, I pull it up and it's giving me the basic information that I need. Could I have found all that in what you gave me? Yes, but here's the basic information so that when you're doing your assignment, you've got the basic information. And so those kinds of things support parents, support students, and we're going to be able to do rigor for everyone. It may look differently for some students, but please don't tell me that I've got some students that just because their mom and dad are working a full-time job and then driving for Uber that we're just going to write them off. Please do not tell me we are to that point. Yeah, that's a scary part because that could easily happen. And uh, especially, especially with, uh, you know, one of the phenomenons that's happened across our country are the people whose kids have disappeared from the systems. You know, they're, they're having to go to the homes and say, yeah, school is going on. You have to get online. And um, so it's, you know, we, we got to can't solve that one. <laughs> I can't solve that one, but I definitely can give suggestions on how to do the other pieces. Because again, let's take goodness, my driver who brings my groceries every week because I have this really wacko form of cancer that is non-life-threatening. So we don't go out. So my driver, Amir, who brings my groceries every week, you know, he's working 14 hour days. It's not fair to expect him to be there for his daughter every moment of the day. It is not going to happen. Is it fair to say to him, for me as a teacher, I'm gonna give these tools for your daughter. I'm also gonna make sure you know where these tools are so when you do get in after a 14 hour day, if she needs some help, here's some places so that you're not having to figure it out. I think all of that is very reasonable because if I was a teacher in a physical classroom, I would do that. So why would I not do it here? Yeah, exactly. That just makes perfect sense. They, uh, let's, uh, let's shift back towards uh, um, the, the book. At the beginning of chapter two, you say this, although planning is an essential part of any instruction, I find it to be even more so with remote learning since we need to consider the tools that will help us accomplish our goals. Can you talk about what you're referring to here? Yeah. Um... You know what, by the time I was teaching for a lot of years, I could sketch out something pretty, pretty simple and go with it. Um, I could, I could take advantage of teachable moments. I could, if something wasn't working, there was enough of a background in me, I could do something different. Uh, but you know what, with remote learning, that doesn't work very well. Okay? Yes. <laughs> it doesn't. Um, and, you know, I've always been a fan of good lesson planning. Uh, but I, I am even more so now because we have to think about what else could happen. Because again, if I, if I am um, teaching in my physical classroom and I have students uh, doing small groups and it looks like somebody's off task, I can just walk over and say, you know, remember you need to do this. Well, you can't, you can't necessarily do that um, when you're teaching online. So what I need to do there is, I need to plan for that small group. 
I need to be very careful about how I plan for the group so that I, you know, if there are people who are going to sort of uh, knock up against each other and need to really separate them, always did it in the classroom, but sort of watched and saw how I needed to do it. Now I got to plan it. Then I'm going to have to plan, all right, how are they going to do their group work? Are they going to use breakout rooms? Sometimes that works. I've talked to school districts that don't allow breakout rooms because they require teachers to monitor all students at all times. And if you're doing breakout rooms, you can't monitor all students at all times. You're in a certain breakout room. All right, if I can't do breakout rooms, what am I going to do? Am I going to use a shared document where they do written responses? Am I going to set up small group Zooms? You know, what am I going to do? I have to think about that. I can't just do that on the fly. Then I have to think about, all right, what happens if they get off task? Okay, I'm going to have a set of norms or guidelines for group work. So I'm going to have those posted in a place where they can find them pretty easily. So if I don't plan for all those things, then they're not going to get done. And boy, you talk about getting frustrated. The first time you try to do something and it doesn't work, if you haven't planned for an alternative, then you really do start feeling like, uh, you know what, nothing is going to work. So I do think the planning becomes critical. Uh, I think with that, um, I've always talked about planning sort of three levels, plan my basic lesson, then plan for advanced students, and then plan for struggling students. Uh, I still think that's a good idea. It's just that I think right now, almost everybody's struggling. So, it's, so you've got to sort of think about where's that scaffolding. And I know you think that I'm just hitting scaffolding over and over and over again. And I am because I absolutely believe it is one of the most important facets to not only just being successful, period, with remote learning, but being successful with rigor. Oh, it's so it, it, so necessary. I mean, just like what you're talking about, because in the regular world where we need to be planning and and lo and behold, you know, some people get good at uh, at uh, planning on the run, but uh, <laughs> but at the same time, it still is a requirement. But in this this world, I mean, you've got kids that are on the other end. If they're sitting in front of that computer, you got the they're looking at little bitty boxes, <laughs> and their attention span to those little bitty boxes is if you're and if you think you can wing it or just make it happen this way, I mean, unless something strange happens, like your dog jumps on your lap suddenly or something like this and makes it all exciting, you know, for the most part, many of them are like, I wonder if he'll notice if I turn off my video <laughs> and just come back in a little bit <laughs> if he's still going. Rah, 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 rah. <laughs> and, you know, you, and that's what happens if we don't plan, if we don't try and figure out what we're going to do and how we're going to help them understand and get, and get, and, you know, and it's just, it's requires a lot of focus. I, you know, well, and, and another way that planning is important. And, and again, we do all these things in the classroom. So I'm not asking you to do something different. Right. I'm just asking you to take what you're doing that, you know, works and adjust it. So formative assessment is real critical. We do that in the classroom. If it's nothing more than we ask a question and they answer a question and we see their face and we see their body language, that's formative assessment. Okay, 30 little boxes, not going to see that. So what else can I do? So depending on your platform, you may have polls so that I can get a response from everybody, just a quick overview. Depending on your platform, you might have thumbs up or thumbs down or smile or frown. Uh, again, I might have the breakout rooms. I've probably got a chat so everybody can put their response in there. Now, 
are those things harder to do than being in the physical classroom? Uh, yeah, they are. I'm not going to tell you they're not. Trying to scan a chat and respond to all the different pieces is, is a challenge. But if you don't plan to put those things in, you are going to lecture the whole time. And if you lecture the whole time and just ask some questions and take one answer, that's not rigor because you have no clue if everybody understands it or not. You know, you just don't. Got that right. Uh, let's, one of the things that it's going to help um, a teacher in a remote learning environment do better is they've, they've got to recognize that they have to have high expectations. And you talk about this. And, and one of the things that uh, I'd like you to do is could you talk a little bit about the, the teacher behaviors that reflect high expectations. Um, could you talk about a couple of these and uh, why it's important? You know, it's interesting because that's an area that's a huge challenge. Not that everything helps us do, but <laughs> so much of the ways we show students we have high expectations in the classroom really do involve that physical presence. We move closer to a student. Um, we've built a relationship so we can ask them a higher level question. We uh, give them more eye contact. Uh, those kinds of things are much more difficult to do, um, you know, when you are in an online learning setting, whether you're doing a live, uh, you know, Zoom or whether you're using, uh, you know, just learning where they're doing it on their own. It's very difficult. So I think what you have to do is, let's, I'm going to go back uh, to something we did. We talked about, you know, having a video. I, I am big on having videos for kids to click because I think you can be a little more personal. Um, and you not only give them that pep talk, but you do some different things with them. For example, and this is very difficult to do when you're looking at 30 kids, but when you're doing a video, it's very easy to do. You want to make sure you're looking at the camera. Because if I'm doing a Zoom, even if I'm doing one with a bunch of teachers, I'm looking at the teachers in the boxes. Well, that means I'm looking down, okay? So the kids don't see me looking them eye to eye. So I'm going to look up into my camera. I'm also going to get pretty close to the camera because here's one of the things that happens. Like right now, you're, you're seeing me on Zoom, even though they're not going to see me. And I am, you're getting, you know, pretty much top half of me. Uh, but if I'm wanting to really connect with you on a more personal level, I want to move up so that you are pretty much just seeing my face. That closeness tells me that I want to be close to you. Um, you know, asking the questions um, and certainly doing this in a, in a live session, uh, asking questions, not just taking the people who are raising their hands, calling on everybody but also making sure that let's say I call on you and you give me a pretty basic answer. Then what I'm going to say is, okay, I'm going to want you to expand on that. But while you're thinking about that, I want everybody to type your answer in the chat box. And so they're typing that and I'm saying, okay, so I want you to think about this because as you're working your way to the causes of such and such, we've got to think about what happened before. And so that's the kinds of things we're thinking about. Now, can you give me an answer? Well, I'm still stuck. Okay, one of the tools you have is you can look in the chat. So I'm sort of walking them through what they can do 
instead, again, going back to a scaffolding, I am actually modeling for them what they can do, which is an important behavior that demonstrates high expectations. I'm not going to let them off with not answering something. I'm not going to let them off with me answering it for them. I'm going to show them how they can figure it out when I'm teaching. And so, um, you know, those kinds of things, those are little. Honestly, the eye contact is really, really big. Most, most definitely. That's something that uh, I just, you know, it's just kind of what you're going into here is something that, uh, you know, just the concept of being on, on the remote learning, you know, the, the teacher's aspect is one thing. I think the teacher has to also think about each of those individual kids. And because if you looked at them in, in the classroom, one of the, you, you're always going to have someone who, you know, like Steve, the reason why you got to do formative assessment with me is because I may look like I'm paying attention. <laughs> I'm even taking notes unless you come over and you see that I'm actually drawing superheroes. <laughs> right. And, right. Um, but in this, in this world, we've really got to have that, uh, that connection and understanding that uh, whatever, you know, if they're sitting there, you know, what is it that we do that's going to, you know, it's going to sh show them that uh, I, I'm not just phoning it in, I guess is one of those teacher behaviors that we're talking about here. Yeah. And, and I will tell you, if I was in the classroom and I know some of your listeners are going to go, you do not know what it's really like right now. You would not do that. Yeah, I probably would. Uh, my husband might be upset with me because I was taking too much time, but I probably would do this. I would probably also do an individual uh, video for each student. Uh, I'd wait until I knew him a little bit, but I would do an individual one for each student. I wouldn't try to do all of them at one time. You know, I could spread them out, but I would do, you know, Steve, I'm really excited that you're in my class. Uh, I've noticed that when we are on Zoom, that uh, your eyes are on me. And that helps me because that helps me understand that you are paying attention because it's really hard for me on Zoom to know that. So I appreciate that. And what I also notice is that when you are doing work on your own, you do seem to be um, working throughout the day because it shows me the time. So that's sort of helpful for me again, but you're not just waiting until the last minute to do things. And, you know, the other thing I've noticed is that if somebody is struggling when we're doing our Zooms and they write something in the chat about struggling, I notice that you always put something nice in there. And that's really important in terms of being a part of our classroom. And so I just want you to know that I am happy you were in my class and just continue to do a great job. And I would, I would do short little videos for all of my kids. You know, that's cool because that it, one of the things that you just mentioned there is it lends itself the, to that type of feedback. Whereas the regular classroom doesn't so much, um, unless you, you have to go really out of your way, but this lends itself to you making those little quickie videos to send out and do that. I like that. I love that a lot. Uh, you know, okay. So we've, We've done da dum. We finally got into this part where I'm going to ask you specifically about scaffolding. So even though you keep, keep wanting to introduce it from the beginning, thank you, Barbara. The, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it really is that I'm so passionate about it. It is. Exactly. It only um, speaks to how important it is. So uh, it, it is. What I want to do, because I knew I was going to hit it earlier, but what I want to do is give a really specific example. And uh, I know you've given my website, you'll give it to them again. Um, I actually wrote an article about this. So if you go to my website, there's lots of free things, but if you go to articles, there's lots of things up there. 
and there's a specific article on this that gives all the written directions. I am a big fan of a guide-o-rama. And, you know, the bad news is you got to write them, but they're very helpful. And so what happens is uh, it's a mix between a um, study guide and a think aloud. And so it really helps students. So when you have them working independently, then they've got something to, again, if you were guiding them in the physical classroom, this is the same thing, it's just in writing. So you can do them for uh, text, so if they're reading an article or a part of a book, I wanna share the one, and again, this is in the article, okay? So you're gonna wanna go get it. Um, I wanna share you a sample one from a video on ratios. So what you do, instead of giving them the page or the paragraph number, I'm gonna give them the time. So it's zero seconds. What do you already know about ratios? Before I watch a video, I also write down what I'm confused about or what I want to learn. 15 seconds. How does the tutor define ratios? How does it compare to your thoughts? For me, sometimes it doesn't match, so I know I need to pay extra attention to the video. 51 seconds. The first time I watched this, I was a little confused because writing a ratio looks like writing a fraction. Did this confuse you? One minute, 40 seconds. Stop and think for a minute. Is this making sense? If it's confusing, you might want to back up the video now and rewatch it. I found it helps me stop when I don't understand a step rather than waiting until the end. So a guide-a-rama is one of my favorites <laughs> because it really does, it's sort of your modeling and asking the questions that you would ask in the classroom, but you're doing it when you're not seeing them. So you've got them watching a video or reading and you're not even there, hey, it is right there. And by the way, if you're teaching hybrid, so you got, te you got kids in the classroom and you got kids at home, just use the guide-a-rama with both of them. What's the big deal? So again, I'm also about sort of streamlining what we do. <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. That's cool. Yeah. You know, one of the things um, that uh, you get into in the book is you talk about the difference between student talk and academic discourse. And I think this is important to take a minute to get into. Um, can you do that for a second? Yeah. And uh, I hate to quit, keep pushing my website, but it's all free. So you might as well go to it. There's also an article in there on this. Um, here's what happens with student talk, okay? They're not talking about the content. They're talking about the football game last night, or they're talking about somebody's <laughs> no. puppy that they just got, you know? They're talking about that kind of stuff. It's not focused. It's not using academic vocabulary, both of which you do during uh, academic discourse, focused academic vocabulary. And here are the problems with just talk, okay? Uh, generally you're the one controlling it because you keep going to them and getting them back on track. And so, you know, that's not real helpful. Um, you know, you tend to be off topic. You tend to not go in depth and student talk a lot of times is dominated by one or two students. So what I'm going to do with academic discourse is I'm going to come up with some guidelines. My students were actually really good with rules. So I came up with rules for things uh, and I would get them to help me figure them out, but I'd make sure I was crafting them. And so my rules are everyone gets to talk before you get to talk again. You know, that's pretty basic. Yep. Um, you know, use your vocabulary list in your conversation. You know, so there's things like that that you can give them as guidelines. You know, that's a good one page fact sheet kind of thing. 
Uh, so you give those to them as guidelines and you're shifting them to discourse. Uh, so Barbara, look, could you talk about some of the challenges you know, to rigor in remote learning? You have this neat chapter and I like this when you get into this because it, it's, it's uh, when, when you, in other books you've talked about the challenges that you're going to face when you, you go to try and make this shift or whatever. And, uh, and in rigor and remote learning, you do the same thing. Can, can we talk a little bit about some of that and what some of those? Okay, well, we're not going to list everything oh. because <laughs> there's probably a thousand, uh, but some big ones that, that are related. First of all, student motivation, uh, because that many students, even those who were motivated to be in school are not motivated now because they've lost their peers, They've lost that relationship with you. So we really do have to look at motivation. And because I know our time's running, uh, what I'm going to say is there's also articles on the website just on motivation because I could spend an hour talking just about motivation. So I think you've got to look at that. Working with parents and families is huge, huge. How do you help them? What can you provide for them? Uh, how can you give them ways to communicate with you? Because we, we also get into this, whether it's kids or parents, they just need to send us a message through the system. Well, you know what? I may not be tech savvy uh, or I may not have that access. Okay, so you can email me. Great, that works for a lot of people. Oh, that may not work for everybody. For some people, texting you is better. And you know, for all we sometimes say, oh, I don't wanna give my cell phone number because you know, they might call me all the time or they might text me because for some people calling and texting is better. I got to tell you, I did it with my college students. I was the only professor early on who did not have a cell phone policy. Uh, and I gave them my cell phone because partly because I was traveling. And if they were going to get a hold of me, they were going to have to call me on my cell. And I said, please don't abuse it. You know, if it's something you can email and wait on, please do that. If it's urgent, then either call me or send me a text message. Know that it may take me a little while to get back to you, but I will get back to you within six hours, which is typically what it was. And you know what? I never had a student abuse it, ever. Never had a student abuse it. And I think, you know, you may have a parent or two that abuses it, and then you work with that situation. But you've also got some people, I have to tell you, Steve, you've got some parents or grandparents or aunts who they just want to hear your voice. They really need to not do it in writing. And you can set hours to do that. When I was right. a teacher, I did that. They could call me at home, but it was during certain hours. Um, but I think that's another piece. Uh, and I'm pretty sure I got an article up on that. <laughs> I'm trying to think. I've just done a series on uh, working with remote learning. And so uh, for Share My Lesson. And so I think several of those are up. And that's why I think, because, you know, you're going to want more plus, Please do not take that as an excuse not to buy the book. I'll be real happy <laughs> if you buy the book. But uh, I'm also all about free because I'm enough of a teacher that I like free things. And so I just want to remind them, because it seems like an appropriate time to say, that's BarbaraBlackburnOnline.com. So, and, and they can find those, those free things there, which is really cool. So, <laughs> yes. uh, uh, Barbara, one of the things I got to make sure I mention is that one of your hallmarks is always that your books are practical and filled with easy to understand explanations, segments that are meant to help the reader remember the points of the chapter and how to sections, you know, rigor in the remote learning classroom delivers on these expectations. Uh, could you share a little bit about why you make sure these are included? Um, you know, I do because that's what I want. Uh, I can't stand reading a book where it's just dense text for a long time. 
So I do a lot of boxes that sort of tell you where we're going because I think that's good teaching. And in a book, I'm teaching teachers. Um, I do a lot of summaries. I do a lot of questions. Um, you know, my hallmark of whether or not it was a good book. Um, and the good news is I've never not passed my own test. Uh, is when the book comes in to me, I take it and I do the flip test. I just flip it. And I should see on almost every page something that breaks up the text. And if I've done that, then I've made it easy to read and practical to understand. And I've been successful. And I love it because you do. And it's perfect. I mean, it, and, it, and they're, they're different. Like I said, there's how-to sections and there's a little cloud that reminds, you know, gets you with little, little lead-ins to get you thinking about asking yourself questions and stuff like this. And it's just, you know, what, what's so cool is that, uh, you know, I, I'm a, I can get into this, you start reading and suddenly what happens is that if it's just nothing but text, what happens is that, you know, you kind of went through a section and you, what did I just read? <laughs> and what's cool is that yours is not like that because you break up the, the text like that and you ask the reader to talk, to think about what they just read or to, you, you know, reiterate something in a different way. And I, and I love that. And it's, uh, I, it's what makes your books, uh, uh, so good, so practical, and uh, um, you know, you, you, it helps drive home your, your points. So I, I love it. Oh, that's great. I mean, I really work hard to do that. And, and honestly, the way I write is based on the feedback I get from teachers. Uh, from my very first book, I always took what they said they wanted, what they would change, that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, I've got a lot of my former graduate students who are still all teachers. I, you know, I'm always you know, getting, you know, here, this is the latest book. I need four or five people who want to read it and make sure cool. you tell me if you didn't like anything. So, yeah. That's cool. <laughs> and they always laugh at me, but you know, they do it. I, I get different ones every time. That's awesome. It, um, Barbara, we're coming to a close here. Uh, and uh, I think, I think they're going to kind of get this theme going here, but uh, if someone wanted to learn more, <laughs> where would you send them? <laughs> Send them to my website, which is barbarablackburnonline.com, or you can Google Barbara Blackburn and Rigger. Um, there's lots of different things on there. Uh, what I would recommend you do is just click free, which is the easiest way to get to things. And then there's a lot of different pieces. So again, articles, and I will check the website this afternoon and make sure everything is updated uh, so that the newest articles are on there. Um, but uh, if you go to free, then you can go to articles, you can go to podcasts, Steve, some of those with you, some with a couple yes. other people. Doesn't mean I'm cheating on you. Okay, <laughs> I've got some different audiences, so uh, I do some different things. Um, there's a radio show I hosted for about a year, so that's up there. Uh, for a lot of the books, not for this one, but for a lot of the books, there are templates, activity templates. You can go to any of them, like you can go to any of the other books and download them, and there are activity sheets you can do with kids. Uh, so... All of that is on there. Uh, there's also a way for you to contact me. So there's ways to click and uh, send you over so you can look at the books in terms of looking at more information. Uh, so, and if you got any feedback at all, hey, send me a message through my website because I love to hear from people. Very cool. And just to remind everybody, I'll have that in my show notes. It's barbarablackburnonline.com. <laughs> Barbara Blackburn. Blackburn. <laughs> <laughs> BarbaraBlackburn.com takes you to somebody who writes like conspiracy theory things. Okay, don't go to that. So it's BarbaraBlackburnOnline.com. 
So one more time, it's BarbaraBlackburnOnline.com. Yes, there we go. So just to, to remind you there, so don't go to the other one, go to this one. So uh, Barbara, last two questions. And the first one goes like this. If you had the chance to talk with a group of brand new teachers who are getting ready to teach in a remote learning environment, what would you tell them is most important to understand as they plan? That remote instruction is just good instruction. You just do it in a different way. So don't throw out everything you know. Love it. Awesome answer. The uh, last question, when life gets tough and you start getting so much stuff thrown at you that you may want to quit, how do you keep going? <laughs> well, I have two things. My first thought is always, it could be worse. And uh, my best friend and I do this with each other. And if I can't think of how it could be worse, I call her. And she'll go, oh, yeah, it could be worse because of this, this, and this. So we're pretty good <laughs> to come up with a way it could be worse. Um, so always, that helps because I'm like, all right, it's not as bad as I thought. And the other thing actually comes from my mom. She says it comes from my dad. Uh, about a year and a half ago, my dad died. He was always my best role model. And so mom, they had been married 60 years. Um, wow. And so she has really struggled. And she has dementia that is advancing. So she struggles with that. And uh, when she gets frustrated because she's really missing dad or because her memory is getting worse, then what she will tell me is this. It is probably never going to be easy, but it is getting easier. And I have to tell you, that's gotten me through some things because not only did my dad die a year and a half ago, my stepson died about seven months ago. And so I just feel like it's getting hit from all sides. And it was bad enough that I propped my cat up one day and said, you, could, you are not allowed to die. There are too many people who have already died. I cannot have my cat dying on me too. And so, yeah, that was just, I was, I was to that point. But when my mom says it may not ever be easy, but it will be easier, then I think that's important. Very important. Uh, thank you so much for sharing. Bar Barbara, it was great talking with you today. Thanks for sharing rigor in the remote learning classroom, instructional tips and strategies. You know, what a powerful, much needed, useful and practical tool. And uh, thank you for anticipating and getting this book into educators' hands. Wishing the best in all that you do. And uh, thanks. Thank you very much. You know, I always love talking to you, Steve. And so anybody needs to get a hold of me, just get me through the website. And that's BarbaraBlackburnOnline.com. <laughs> Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.